We've got an important election coming up. I know I'm freaking out. Everyone's kind of freaking out. Uh, there's all kinds of talk about Trump and voter fraud, and it's scary stuff out there. So if you're interested in hearing about politics, about the election, about voters in general, this one is going to be very interesting. And Sarah Gifford is here to help me talk about this and really set some stuff straight because I'm freaking out. There's all this talk about he, he who must not be named coming back. There's pe people on both sides kind of fighting each other. There's plus or minus voter fraud. There's the, and we were just talking about this immigrants. There's all kinds of stuff going on in the system right now. So Sarah, let's start by kind of setting the record straight with voter fraud. What is it? Why is it important? And is it going to be relevant in this upcoming election? Yeah, so the way elections work, um, in almost all states, you register to vote. There's a couple states that actually don't have voter rolls and that you register on the day that you vote. But in almost every single state, you go in and you register to vote. That means you give your name, your address. You typically give some sort of proof of residency, whether that be your driver's license. Um, sometimes you register when you get your driver's license. But if you don't have a driver's license, it could be a phone bill or an electric bill or something that says, I live in exactly this place. Um, only US citizens can register to vote. And then states maintain those voter rolls. Um, so I used to live in Pennsylvania. So I was on the Pennsylvania voter rolls. And then at some point I moved. Um, when I moved from Pennsylvania to another state, that means I stopped being registered in Pennsylvania and I started being registered in my case in my new state. I happen to live now in Massachusetts. Um, so those voter rolls make sure to tell everybody who's allowed to vote. When you go vote, either to your polling place or if you vote by mail, um, they check that. Is this person allowed to vote? Are they on the voter rolls? Um, and therefore, can they cast a legal vote? Um, the way states kind of manage that is they have data down to the precinct level. A precinct is it's typically where you go to vote. It might be at your elementary school, very common, or a local YMCA, um, something like that in your community where you actually go to vote. A precinct has typically between 2,000 and 4,000 voters um, in the entire United States. So there's hundreds of thousands of precincts along around the United States. Um, and then every precinct knows if I only have 3,000 people that live here, the maximum number of people that can vote in my precinct is 3,000, right? So that's one of the ways to make sure that we don't have fraudulent votes. Now, one of the big questions is on vote by mail, right? So what's not very common is that, so my name happens to be Sarah. It's not very common that I would walk into a polling place and tell somebody, hey, my name is Jane Smith. I'd like to vote. Um, that's not the common form that people talk about. What people worry about is mail voting, right? So if you get access to a mail, mail ballot, how can you really prove that it's me casting that mail ballot versus somebody else? Um, and so when we talk and hear a lot about voter fraud, that's what people are worried about is fraud kind of mostly with mail ballots um, right. or mostly with, am I still trying to vote in Pennsylvania even though I moved? So did the state of Pennsylvania remove me from the voter rolls fast enough, right? So those are the things that they're talking about. Every state has checks and balances. So one of the first checks and balances are that you have to register. One of the second one is, that you can only vote in your own precinct, and that's a very small number of voters. So nobody can dump 100,000 votes into one precinct because not enough people live in that precinct to dump that many votes there, right? That's a very easy check. If you get 10,000 ballots in a place where 3,000 people live, I think we all know that they can catch that, right? right. They can figure that part out. Um, so there's a lot of checks and balances kind of to make sure that your vote counts and that your vote um, is not fraudulent. And what are the proportions of, we can use the data from this last election to start, the percentage that were walk-in doing it at the precinct versus mail-in ballots. And I know last election, 
uh, was COVID. So things may have been different than they normally would have been. But what was what were we seeing during that time? So if you look at voting by mail versus voting in person, um, and there's two ways to vote in person. Some states have early voting. Um, so where they'll open up the polls, maybe 10 days, 20 days before election day. Um, and then of course, obviously in person on election day. Um, it's different by party, right? So during COVID, so first of all, and I think just like you just said, Jay, um, 2020 was a very different election, right? With COVID, people were, were more scared to vote in person. So more people voted by mail in 2020 um, than in any previous election. That being said, actually in states like Florida and states like Arizona, um, those states have a disproportionate number of mail-in voting and always have, right? Because states like Florida and Arizona where people retire to, many of those people have two homes. Right, so a lot of those people vote by mail because they're not always living in the same place right. um, as where they're registered to vote. Um, so in some states, so take Florida as an example, mail voting wasn't much higher in Florida this time than it was in previous years. It was a little bit higher, but not significantly higher. Other states, there was a much bigger difference. Um, if you look in 2020, um, Democrats voted by mail a lot more than Republicans. Re Republicans voted in person kind of quite a bit more. Um, so there were more mail-in votes in 2020. Um, than there had been in previous elections. Um, but like I said, in many states, it actually wasn't that different because they already had a very high proportion of mail-in voting. And I know, especially for this past election, there were a lot of people that say, you know, the results were rigged, so there was a lot of fraud. Is there anything that you can counter that to say that, no, there wasn't fraud? Or, and is there anything we could potentially do to prevent that and prove it? Yeah, so, so the Heritage Foundation, um, which is actually a, a, a right-leaning think tank organization. They actually have a database of all of the voter fraud cases since the 1980s, right? So every case of voter fraud since the 1980s. Um, in your average election year, um, it's typically maybe 60 or 70 cases, right? So that's only 60 or 70 total votes out of 220 million. Um, in 2020, actually, the numbers were about the same. There were about 120 documented cases. And again, this is this is the Heritage Foundation as a right-leaning source that's documenting this. Um, I'm happy to send you a link um, if you want to put that in the notes. Um, that could be a really Please. good place for your listeners to go to see, hey, here are all of like voter fraud cases are documented when they are prosecuted and exactly what they are. That's awesome. That That's super helpful. Thank you. And I know the big, big elephant when, you, when it comes to this subject is why are we still voting in such antiquated ways? Why do we still have to physically get up and go into a building? Why do we have to send a letter with a stamp to some building and have someone manually go through that? What is the reason that we can't move this online? So there isn't a technical reason that we can't, right? So, so think about it for everybody who's listening. I don't know about you, but I do my banking online. So if you think about the one thing that's most important to me, my livelihood, right? That I can pay my rent and I can pay my bills. And I do all my banking online, right? So I'm, I'm willing to log in and transfer money in and transfer money out, right? So to me, that's one of the most sacred things I do. Um, I access my health records online, right? I get net messages from my doctor. I don't, I, you know, and again, I don't wanna speak for everybody else, but there's a number of very, very personal things that I do online. And I think many others do as well, um, that is safe and secure. Um, so there isn't a technical reason that we can't vote online. I think the biggest reason is confidence, right? So there has not, there has never been sizable fraud in our elections. Um, that that's that's been something that's talked about, but it's never actually been documented that it happens. Um, but one of the most important things is that people trust our elections, 
right? So one of the big pushes right now is hand-marked paper ballots so that you can actually go physically count, right? The check marks in the column, you know, to make sure that the, the count actually makes sense. Whereas, you know, counting on a computer, again, I do my banking there. And so I'm pretty sure they know how much money goes in and how much money goes out. Um, but it's about trust. So I think right now the only barrier to voting online is making people need to believe that it's safe and secure, right? And our current system is safe and secure. And so I think that's the 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 hesitation to move is that is are people ready to trust that system? Because because trust is incredibly important. Right. I almost trust the internet more. And maybe that's just my generation, but I trust very little the the thought that somebody could be walking into a mailbox and dumping a bunch of ballots in and nobody's ever going to know who did it or where they came from. Whereas online, there's records. You can you can check those things. You can put in your social security number and sev several other identifying factors about yourself and cast that one ballot. Uh, so maybe this changes as my generation comes into power, uh, people are a little bit more confident in technology. Uh, what do you think that's going to do to the voting system? I think it will increase participation. Me too. Um, you know, there's there's a talking point right now because as I'm sure many people know, and if you don't, Americans aren't great voters, right? So if you go to many countries in Europe or if you go to Australia, New Zealand, you know, and their election goes, they might have 85%, 90% participation, right? And 2020 was an amazing year, right? 66% um, of Americans voted in the 2020 election. Um, and that's something we should be proud of because it's one of the highest numbers we've seen. Um, but it's not all that great when you think that's a lot of people who didn't vote. Um, that's a lot of votes that we didn't hear about, right? That basically means that a third of the country voted for Trump, a third of the country voted for a Biden, and a third of the country didn't vote. It's crazy. Right? So, so that's amazing. And so I think, you know, I don't think voters are apathetic. I don't think voters don't care. I think people do care. I think it's just hard. And I think it's hard for a few reasons. So one, you know, when do I do these things? When are the deadlines? When do I have to show up? Then you show up and, you know, there were people in 2020 that showed up to vote for either Trump or Biden and then realized there were 30 or 40 other offices on the ballot. Um, well, those offices matter too, by the way, right? Those are school board officials. Those are county recorders, county assessors. Um, you know, those, those people make a lot of decisions about your life as well. And so I think making voting easier uh, is one of the keys to getting participation up. I think we're doing the first step of that, right? We have an app called ActiVote um, and it puts all that information in one place. So you download one app, you enter your address and it will tell you everything on your ballot. It'll tell you when the next local election is, when the next special election it is. So it'll make sure you never miss a chance to vote. Um, but even with ActiVote today, you still have to then go, go to the polls and stand in line and cast your vote. Imagine that you finish doing your research on your app and then you just go online and you can have two-factor authentication, right? It sends a text to right. your phone and it's, you know, there's a lot of security just like you do to log into your bank account. And then you go online, go to a website and submit your vote. I think that would be a lot easier. I think participation would go up. They will pray for it in the coming, coming elections, but I'm not, not holding my breath. Do you think there's any nefarious means that either party would be suppressing technology uh, in taking over the new system of, of voting? So I think there's two, I think actually both parties have a reason that they are not necessarily trying to push for electronic voting, right? I think, um, you know, I think Democrats want to make sure people keep trusting our elections, 
right? To, to make sure that that, because trust is really important, right? We have to believe in the government that we have. Um, I think there's another kind of side, you know, Republicans have been really, are really big on election integrity and election security. And kind of one of their things is, hey, if you have hand-marked paper ballots, then you can always go back and recount them, right? Um, and to make sure that kind of that's the case. And so, hey, you're not gonna find me arguing that, that we can't put this online. I think we can. Um, you know, can we do it in the next two or three months? No, um, but very smart people have built tech systems to do a lot of things. And I am sure that they can build one that, that makes our elections safe and secure. Hey, our national security is online. You know, that's the other thing. I talked about banking, I talked about health records, um, but you know, the, the Department of Defense invented the internet and have been using it for decades. And you know, a lot of our secrets are still quite safe. You run ActiVote. You're part of the initiative to get more people involved in the system, get them voting, even if it is through our antiquated ways. You're bringing some, a technological factor to it, which is awesome. Because honestly, when it comes to voting, I don't really know anything either. I kind of trust my grandma. I wait for that call. She's like, it's, it's, Jay, it's time to vote. Do you get your mail-in ballot yet? <laughs> Who are you voting for? She's usually trying to press me one specific way. <laughs> but a, a lot of people my age and definitely younger, I know, feel this way too. And, you know, there's people on college campuses getting people signed up, trying to activate them. But I think this is a, a step in the right direction. So outside of ActiVote, which everyone should go download, get updates, it's, it's awesome. What is there that you think we can do to activate more voters, specifically younger voters? So I think it's a few things. So one is just talk to a few people about it, right? So a lot of times we don't talk about uh, politics, right? Um, and actually, there have been studies that have shown, right? So back in the 80s, um, you know, before before some of your time, you know, there was that little rule of thumb, you know, don't talk about religion and politics at the dinner table, right? But the problem when you stop talking about things that are really important, and those are two things that are really important, yeah. then they become taboo, and they become scary, and they become secret, and then less people participate. Um, and I think that's not good, right? And so we should talk about politics. And I think you can talk about politics without trying to sway someone, right? So Jay, I want you to vote. I have no idea who you're going to vote for and I don't care. I want you to vote, right? Neither and do so I. don't be surprised if you get a text message from me in early November saying, hey, Jay, have you voted yet, right? It's just a, a soft, gentle reminder, right? I'm not trying to push. Um, but so one thing your generation can do, just start talking to people about it and mentioning it. Um, the other thing is, you know, you said you talk to your grandparents, right? And they have ideas, you know, they remind you to vote and they give you kind of things. You know, in, in my circle of friends, I'm one of the people that everybody knows always votes. Um, so starting the next couple of weeks, I'm gonna get a lot of phone calls and a lot of text messaging saying, hey, Sarah, who should I vote for? Um, I'll say, hey, this is what I'm doing and why, but you know, go do your own thing. But that's something that can be done too, right? Just talk to people about it. Mention what you're doing and why, and you can do it without trying to convince people. Um, but, but encouraging it and talking about it and making it more normal. I think the other thing that's really gonna change the world is when your generation starts running for office um, because we need new blood, right? Um, I think it's pretty universally accepted that Biden both the and Democrats are and the Republicans blood. are too old, yeah. right? Yeah, um, two 80 year old men in the, in the White House, it's, it's crazy. Right, so I mean, th those are the choices right now, two 80 year old men, so there's nobody, you know, and I think um, a new, with a new generation comes new ideas. Um, new solutions, um, and just the movement that we absolutely need. And I think there, it's a myth that young people are all Democrats. Um, again, there's been some studies done 
If you're a young person in North Dakota, you're probably more likely to be a Republican than a Democrat. If you're a young person in New York City, you're probably more likely to be a Democrat than a Republican. Um, but young people tend to follow the party of their parents. Um, so they are about as you know, uniformly split as, as the rest of us. And so I think, um, you know, I'm very excited to see this new generation start to run for office um, and do what my generation couldn't. And you mentioned something earlier, all your friends ask you who to vote for. I love that. And I, I think it's kind of counterintuitive for a lot of people. Everyone's like, you should watch the news and follow every debate and make every decision on your own. I don't agree with that. I personally don't follow the news very closely. I don't read their stance on every policy, but I have a friend who follows this very closely and he's got very similar aligned values for me. So when it's time to, for me to make a, a decision, I know whose values align with my own and I know who's done the back, back end research. And I, I can trust that opinion that carries a lot of weight. So I think it's a, it's a smart thing for a lot of people to do. That's just my opinion. Uh, would you agree with that? Absolutely. And, and that is what democracy looks like, right? Democracy is about people. Um, and your friend is someone you know and trust, right? Right. And so that's an informed vote, right? Because yeah. you're getting the information in a place that feels good for you. And of course, once you have that information, if anybody ever asks you, you can say, well, hey, this is what I'm going to do, right? And, and pass it along, right? And so, no, I absolutely think asking people that you know and trust um, is, an, is a perfect way to prepare for your ballot. Yeah, as long as those person's values align, the chances are you're gonna be happy with that vote and where that uh, where that decision lies. Because a lot of times you go into a polling office and you vote for somebody uh, and really you're just voting for like a characteristic of that person, a very surface level thing, but you really haven't dug into their, their history, their stance on certain policies. Uh, whereas some people are so involved in this, they've been following this stuff like a hawk, they read every, every policy, and that's the kind of person that I want making a voting decision on my behalf, as long as the, the values align there. So very good. Absolutely. Uh, talk to me about ActiVote. What specifically are you guys doing to activate voters? Uh, I know, that Sarah, you're, you're, you're the founder there. What has that journey been like? And have you seen any level of success yet? Yeah, so, um, so first of all, what are we doing? So one of the things we're trying to do is flip the script on how this works. So right now, you know, no matter where you live in the country, you're getting phone calls, text messages, emails from candidates begging you for their vote, right? Vote for me, vote for me, vote for me. Um, and it's all about them. It's not about you. It's not about you, the voter, right? And you know, if you go back to our founding, it's we, the people. It's not we, the politicians, it's we, the people. Um, and so, you know, politicians are screaming at all the voters trying to get attention and voters just put up walls, right? I delete all these text messages. I throw away all the flyers. Actually, I recycle all the flyers. Um, but you know, I, I, you don't pay attention and you get time to vote and you don't know what to do. Um, and so we're doing it entirely different, right? We put all the information there in front of you. It's easy. It's only for you. There are no ads, no candidates can, can do anything. Um, but we have, you know, a policy matrix. So you can answer questions about things that, you know, what do you think about minimum wage? What do you think about defense spending? What do you think about these issues? And then it puts you just in a little grid with other people. It says, okay, well, you overlap with this person by 64% and that person by 72%. Um, and then you can cast your vote. And we do that for obviously the big ticket offices, right? So in Florida, you have a governor race and a US Senate race, but you also probably have a county board of education race um, in Florida. You probably have a county commission race in Florida. Those are the harder ones and we'll do it for that as well. The other big thing that we're doing is Democracy and voting isn't something that only really happens once every four years or once every two years. Um, 
you know, there's local elections, there's special elections. And so what we've set up is, as I say, the Duolingo of democracy. You get a two minute action every day um, and then make sure you never miss an election. And that two minute action, you know, near election day, we'll be preparing to vote. Um, but after election day, like, okay, here's your new elected officials. What do you think of the job they're doing? Here's a bill that they passed. Do you like it or do you not like it? Um, and so they kind of these tiny little actions to kind of keep people engaged. Um, and not, not in a daunting way, it's two minutes a day, right? So you do it while you're standing in line at the grocery store, while you're waiting for a bus, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, we've been at this for three years. Um, so we've gone through a couple of election cycles. Uh, one of the wonderful stats we have is that anytime we get someone to use ActiveVote, they become 33% more likely to cast a vote in their next election and the two elections afterwards. Um, and we don't know that it stops at two. We have only just been at this since 2019. So hopefully that number will keep growing as we get more election cycles under our belt. Um, so if we, if we can get people engaged, and it kind of goes back to prove my point that I don't think voters are apathetic, you just have to make it easier. Um, so they'll get an email reminder that says, hey, there's a runoff election, right? If you live in Louisiana, there's likely to be a runoff in December. Easy election to forget, but a pretty important one to vote in. Um, and so we go from there. And so we are starting to see success. Um, obviously, election years are, are bigger moments for us. So this is our this is our Super Bowl, if you will. Um, but but it's going kind of really well. I'm going to say something that I've never said on a podcast before. Uh, we're going to talk briefly about kind of my political stance. We can talk about how a lot of people that, that at least my observation of people my age feel. Uh, I definitely feel more Republican after the past couple of years, but I have some very democratic values as well. Uh, I care deeply about the environment. I'm extremely pro-choice. And I feel like a lot of my colleagues, people my age, people in my circles have really similar values and takes on all those things, no matter how they categorize themselves. Because you have to pick two, right? So stupid. You have to pick one of two. On your matrix, your screening questionnaire, are you seeing that like struggle placing people? Are they falling in the middle, especially more with people uh, my age? What, do you, what are you seeing? Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly the reason we did the matrix. I'm so glad you said this is that we are all very nuanced people. You, you can have a left-leaning view on one issue and a right-leaning view on another issue. And that's totally normal. I have the same, by the way, right? I, I also have right-leaning views on some issues and left-leaning views on other issues, right? And so it's just where that nuance comes out on all of these. Right. Um, and that's the idea of the policy matrix is, again, if you have two candidates running and one is somewhat centrist and one is extreme. And again, it doesn't matter whether that extreme is left or right. Maybe for you, that centrist one might be better. Maybe not. Right. Maybe, maybe you know, it's the extreme one. But the matrix kind of allows you to make that decision and allows you to see that overlap so that you're not just saying, OK, I'm going to vote for only women or I'm going to vote for only Republicans or I'm going to vote for only Democrats or I'm going to vote for only you know, only whatever, right? To your point about picking one characteristic, the matrix kind of allows you to look at that whole nuanced thing. Um, the other thing that matrix does is it, it really, and we get a lot of feedback about this, is people saying, hey, I didn't know it was okay to have different opinions on these things. I didn't know that, I thought I only had to have all of these or all of those. Right. Um, and that's exactly why we did it that way is because I think, I think you're perfectly fine to have some right and some left-leaning views and that makes you a very normal, person and a very normal voter. Do you think we'll ever have a legitimate third party? You know, you look at the values of like the libertarian party and a lot of that aligns more with me than either of the two, you know, Dem Democrat or Republican. You think we'll ever see one of those parties actually come into power? I do. Um, and for a few reasons. So one, 
if you look through most of Europe or most of the Western world, they have multiple parties, right? So in a way, we are the enigma of basically the only two-party system. I think the second is you're starting to see things happen. So take Utah. Um, I don't know if anybody listening happens to live in Utah, but if you live in Utah, you have Senator Lee running for re-election. He's a Republican. The Democrats chose not to run someone, and Evan McMullen is running as an independent. So this race only has two people, and there's no Democrat. Um, he's a third-party candidate. He's an independent candidate. Um, and the Democrats in Utah decided, hey, you know what? Let's let's see, right, if that that might be kind of better for Utah, because Utah is not a very liberal state. It's a, it's a much more conservative state. So now Utah has a choice between a, a pretty conservative person in, in in Mike Lee and a more centrist, but still right-leaning person, say in Evan McMullen. And so I think you're starting to see that. And I think take something like the forward party, um, Andrew Yang uh, together with a Republican governor, right? So Andrew Yang's a little bit more left-leaning together, a Republican governor put together the forward party. Um, and their plan isn't to start by running someone for president, right? Their plan is to start running people in school boards and in county races and in state legislative races. And I think that's how a third party takes shape, right? I think we've we've tried in the past a Ross Perot, um, you know, or a Ralph Nader, right? To start at the presidency and work your way down. But I think um, it's gonna start at lower levels and work its way up. So I of course can't see the future, but I, I think we might see that come, come to fruition. Yeah, and I think Andrew Yang can pull it off. All right, the hot, hot question, what do you think is gonna happen? in the November midterm election? Do you see a big red wave like everyone's thinking and saying? Do you see Joe Biden running again? What are your predictions? So I predict turnout is gonna be up. I think this is gonna be a better um, midterm turnout than we've seen um, historically. If you look at the primaries, so the primary elections that have already happened over about 40 states, so I don't have numbers yet for the last few states, um, some people voted like my primary was September 13th, so very late. Um, but over the first 40 states, turnout was up um, quite a few points. So in the primary, so that makes us think that turn up, turnout could be up again, kind of the general election, which would be a wonderful thing. Um, in terms of what happens, it's very hard to tell. I think we end up, I think we either keep a 50-50 Senate or it goes 51-49. I don't think there's a huge swing in the Senate. If it, if it is, it's only kind of one or two seats. Um, I think it's possible that that ekes out for the Democrats um, because there's some pretty interesting candidates around the country. Um, so I think the Senate probably stays Democratic, although, you know, who knows? I think the House definitely is Republican. Um, I think the House will be Republican by, my guess is about eight to 12 seats. Um, that they'll have an eight to 12 seat majority in the house um, is my guess. Um, I don't think Joe Biden is gonna run again. I don't have any inside information. So for anyone listening, I'm not, I'm not a politics whisperer. I don't, you know, I just, I, I, I don't think he'll run again. I think um, what do you my think personal do? hope, kind of like we talked about before, I don't, ho I hope nobody who's 80 runs. I hope we get two candidates who are, you know, in their forties or fifties um, you know, for president and, and that we get to really see a new generation. What election would you like to see happen on either side? What election? Yeah. Who, who do you want in, in the Republican and democratic party? Who do you, who would you like to see their nominees be if not Biden and Trump? My personal preference would be to see on the democratic side, 
somebody like a Pete Buttigieg or an Amy Klobuchar, so a very centrist Democrat. Um, and then on the Republican side, similarly, I would love to see like a John Kasich, Charlie Baker, um, kind of Larry Hogan, um, very uh, moderate Republican. So put a moderate Republican against a moderate Democrat so that whoever wins or loses, we aren't all angry. Right. I, I agree with you. I don't know who most of those people are. <laughs> Just, uh, people to judge, yes. But it's funny how detached we all are. If the name's not like front and center in the media all the time, like Ron DeSantis, uh, how little we actually know about what people out there who are really a, a effective major major game changers are actually doing. But I'm sure we're going to get real familiar with the names over the next few months. Absolutely. I think the moment this election is over, that's all we're going to hear about is the presidential election. 100%. Sarah, where can people go to download ActiVote? And by the way, if you haven't already done anything like this, the, the power to go take a questionnaire and place yourself, not just by who your parents are and what your friends are doing, but what your fundamental belief systems are, I think is so powerful. And for you to create that and give people access to go do that in several minutes on their phone, I think is game changing. So if you're listening to this, please go download ActiVote. But Sarah, where's the, the best place to do that? So you can go to our website, activevote.net. Um, and of course you can find it in the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store uh, as well. And if you have a link, a uh, direct like download link, I'll, I'll drop that in the show notes too. So if you're listening to this, uh, check out the show notes. There might be a quick link for you there. All right, Sarah Gifford, everybody, founder of ActiVote. Sarah, thank you for coming on and talking politics with me. Again, this is the first time I've ever actually had a political conversation on here, kind of shared some of my political views. So thank you for that. And thank you for giving your political opinions. I know a lot of people don't like to do that, uh, but it keeps it fun and light. And Sarah, you were, you were awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I hope everybody listening votes November 8th, 2022. I'll be there.